Hi, Ralph. Hi, Khalid. Hey, yeah. We're waiting for our guest. Um, and uh, so let's let's just do a quick recap of what happened the la uh, in the last session. Do you still remember? Uh, we did so many um, in such a short amount of time. We've, we've covered um, podcasts that relate to leadership and management. We talked about the fourth industrial revolution a couple of episodes ago. And... Yep. Uh, Actually, well, beginning our second season now, you know. So, like, uh, maybe we can do a recap of the whole first season. So, um, let's see. Let, let, let me just take a look at um, the blog movement here. Um, at the blog movement website, we have uh, our podcast episodes. So, okay. Anyway, our guest is here. Uh, hi, Mike. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, okay, let me just introduce myself. Uh, I'm Ralph from Palindrome. And... Um, I'm here with my colleague Khalid, also from Palindrome. Khalid, can you say hi? Hi, Dr. Mike. Hi, Khalid. Yep. And this podcast is called Let's Talk About the Future of Blogs for Businesses. So uh, our guest today is uh, Dr. Mike Thayer. Am I pronouncing that correct? Uh, that's correct, yes. Okay, cool. So uh, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do? Okay, so uh, my name is Dr. Mike there. I'm the and uh, master formulator at Indochi Natural, um, which is located in uh, Penang, Malaysia. And uh, we manufacture all natural skin and hair care. All right, nice. So, um, do you mind telling us a little bit about the uh, backstory of Indochine? Uh, uh, and how you and Miss um, Lathan Thuy came up with the concept for the uh, natural body care line. I, I, I believe it all started with the hand, handmade soap, yes? Uh, it's a bit more than soap. We do the whole range of body care. But this, uh, this story started in Hanoi uh, way, way back in the early 2000s, uh, where I was living and working at that time. And... Uh, uh, Lynn, who is Lee Tan Thuy, uh, she had some soap from Bali and she was rabbiting on how good it was. And I said, look, it's synthetic rubbish. Um, I can do better. And she held me to that uh, challenge. So in her fashion business in the corner, started to uh, make soap and the customers started to take interest in it and... Uh, I wanted to buy it, and so then that's where the business started, and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. Then in 2009, we moved from Hanoi to Penang Island. Wow! Yeah, how, how long has um, how long has Indochine been been around? Uh, is is it uh, conceptually about uh, from about 2000? Ah, it's pretty long. Uh, yeah, the, the, the initial yeah. recipes um, took about, these. we started with soap, took about two years to develop because to develop a soap recipe um, is about a one-month cure. So you develop the recipe, you cure for one month, send out to uh, people to test, it takes a month to get back, reformulate. So each round is about three months. So, um, and I had a particular thing I wanted to do. I wanted soap that was... Uh, long-lasting, 
because a lot of natural soap these days it basically disappears in front of your eyes because it's not formulated properly so it took about two years to get the formulations correct right and and, and you're you're considered a master formulator right uh, can you tell us a little bit about what that means uh well i've been doing this for a long long time and um so I'm now responsible for all the formulating uh, activities in industry natural. Plus, I'm formulating for a number of brands uh, in Malaysia and internationally. I see. Uh, it's, uh, like um, a body shop, Anita Rodic, you know Anita Rodic, right? Say again? Uh, Anita Rodic, the body yes, shop. Yes, Yeah, you've got little that, that, that kind of thing going on, right? Natural and stuff, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, that's where she started when she sold out. Um, right. It's not natural anymore. <laughs> so you make, right. you make and sell soap. Have you seen the movie? Tyler no, Durden. No, <laughs> no, no we, we, soap is just one of our products. We do body wash, shampoo, face wash, right. uh, balms. But I do a lot of other stuff for other brands as well. So... Um, that the the range is quite extensive right yeah and and i think it's pretty interesting um right now because there's a sense of uh, accumulated awareness you could say in the market right now revolving around uh you know many aspects of consumerism from fashion and healthcare to beauty even like self development and i think sustainability and authenticity is kind of a source of empowerment for the new, the, the rising new consumer, right? And, and I think the beauty industry um, has to change and is changing to accommodate this um, new consumer. Uh, so with that, um, my question is, what are, what are some of the most interesting trends that you see right now in your industry? And, and do you have any predictions for the, uh, the, new, the near future? Um, it's... Very difficult to say because um, if you look at the mainstream beauty industry, it's um, dominated by a small group of very large multinational corporations. And there's not, in actual fact, there's not a lot of consumer choice. Um, most skincare brands are copying each other. Um, in fact, there are very few skincare brands that actually manufacture their own products. Most of them go to contract manufacturers. And so they're all doing the same thing. Uh, but that creates a niche for us as an indie brand because there's a small group of indie brands that we uh, manufacture and I um, formulate for. But it, it's very small. So whether these big brands can change, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I, time will tell. Right, right, yeah. And, and, and I think, yeah, I totally get what you're saying, where there's kind of a lack of uniqueness and a lack of, I guess, a lack of hyper-focusing on, on... There's this movement, it seems, for like these um, sort of like homegrown brands in the you know, personal care space, like um, direct-to-consumer brands. Like, I don't know if you know Harry's. Um, they do shave, shave stuff, and they're like direct-to-consumer. They recently um, got acquired by um, a Unilever or something like that. 
Yeah. Uh, th that's happening uh, a lot, a lot. Uh, the small brands that become uh, successful, yeah. they're snapped up by the big brands and then they're absorbed and then, the, I mean, it's like uh, body shop. <laughs> um, they've lost all credibility these days and uh, it's been on sold a couple of times and, and they're kind of struggling because they got away from the main focus. Right, yeah. And I, I think what's it's it's pretty interesting as well because this phenomenon is kinda happening happening across industries. Like we, we also if you if you look at the um the internet companies, like the internet giants like Google and uh Facebook and Instagram, like like um the same thing is happening over here where like the smaller competitors get eaten up. Um, by the bigger ones, I guess you could say a form of monopolization. It, it's, it, it happens, and I think a lot of people find that there's there's some kind of intrinsic problem with that. But yeah, definitely, I agree with you with that. So anyway, uh, moving on. So apart from like production and technical side of, of beauty and body products, I think customer care and customer service is also a hugely overlooked aspect as well. And I think you manage this perfectly from what I see. In fact, my wife is a pretty loyal customer of Indochine. And um, I was impressed, honestly, because she, she, she emailed you a, a question. She was concerned about something and you replied really quick. Personally. With a really, yeah, really comprehensive response. And I think that's what impressed me the most, which is why I, 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 I thought I, I need to get to get Dr. Mike on the podcast because it seems like he's he's really good at this. So what, what kind of advice would you have for, for other brands to maybe reinforce their relationships with their customers, especially the ones that are scaling up, you know, because businesses naturally, they, they have to scale up. And I guess there's a correlation between scaling up and, and managing your customer service and maintaining it. So um, uh, what, what, what do you think about that? Well, we do things a little bit differently. Uh, when I first started, we hired people to look after sales and things like that. But uh, And we also had our products in various shops around Malaysia. But I realised that it puts a barrier or distance between us, the, the artisans, and the consumer. So what we've done now is that we have no sales staff the only people that you will interact with will be myself or the artisans. So we're really involved and passionate about the product, and I think that's what makes the difference. Um, but it may not be a model that is suited to scaling up. I'm not sure. But it, it depends what it it depends what you mean by scaling up, or how much scaling up that uh, like that you want to do, right? Like. Um, you ha like there are businesses that remain small uh, um, purposely, like 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 you mentioned, like artisans, right? There's this uh, one business, um, if I recall correctly, they produce only like um, 25 pairs of leather pants a year or something like that, and and but they're like really like well crafted, and I think one of their cus loyal customers is Alanis Morissette, I think. So yeah, yeah it's stuff like that, you know. I mean, I, I, I don't think uh, for our brand we have no interest in scaling up. We can become more efficient and produce more products, but we don't want to scale up and have this barrier between um, us, the, 
the artisans and the um, the consumer because if consumer has an issue, contact us. They're talking to the guys who are making the stuff. So one of our sort of uh, mottos is talk to the guys who make the stuff. Yeah, and they're the ones who know the best. Yeah, like uh, you, 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 you have the expertise, and then also like, um, you know, like <clears throat> outreach to the community. You know, like uh, uh, being really, you can say grassroots, maybe, right? Right. Yeah, and I think um, it's very interesting that um, a brand like Indochine implements artisanal fashion. And, and um, it's refreshing to see um, brands like yours step away from a little bit from the commercialization that we're also used to seeing big brands in, and even small brands, you know, um, aspire to. They, they try to get on board the industrialization train, I guess, and, and they kind of think they, they prioritize um, scaling up. They prioritize uh, um, systemizing to a point where the uh, the human-oriented spirit of the brand is lost. And I think Indochine is a really great example of possibly what, what the future of all industries should look like, right? Where we're stepping away from the industrialization uh, uh, model of, of, of economics. And we are kind of, we're now we're kind of looking at this more, right? Especially because customers are, they they are changing. The customers' expectations are, are are more aligned with what Indochine, I think, kind of is aligned with, right? Where customer service comes first. Uh, if you want to speak to the brand, you're speaking to the artisans, or you're speaking to the founder, or the person that's in charge, the the expert. Uh, and I think this fixes a lot of problems as well, because if you look at the beauty industry right now, I think it's rampant with brands that just. Their customer service is pretty horrible. I, uh, I uh, honestly, I, from what I see, my my personal observation, right? You get you get brands that, that that can't really face the music when there's when there's trouble, or they can't really explain the specifics of the products or the services that they provide to the customers, especially when the customers have a problem. So I think th these are all um, things. Yeah, and also uh, we. we... We almost unsell. We don't. We don't sell. 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 We're more interested about the ingredient, about the uh, intangibles, if you like. I mean, a lot of brands that they're they're offering to cure every ailment known to man. Now, we don't go down that track. Uh, you know, they're they're, they're 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 guaranteed to cure eczema, and and it goes on and on. And on. We don't do that. You know. Uh, for ours, it's more of an experiential thing, and uh, but it's just our way, and it's a little bit different, and it seems to um, you know attract a certain niche in the market. It's not for everyone, that's for sure. And I think that's what's so great about your brand as well, because um, you know if if you listen to to brand experts like Seth Godin as well they talk about differentiating yourself from the mass market by focusing on a small group of um, um, people that have the same preferences tastes and interests as as your brand and then develop around that so i think niche a niche hyper focused brand like indochine is really the way to go um, especially when you're talking about the aspects that brand experts like Seth Godin uh, um, um, 
go on about. So really inspiring stuff. Uh, so anyway, moving on, are there any are there any key differences between between the body care and beauty industries of Southeast Asia, uh, particularly Malaysia, um, compared to the rest of the world? Uh, um, what would you like to see more as well in terms of the local market and the local players, uh, you know, in terms of standards, regulations or, 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 you know, safety standards? Well, Malaysians are surprised to hear this, but Malaysia, in fact, has one of the uh, best cosmetic standards in Southeast Asia. Uh, and, um, I mean, they're ahead of um, Vietnam, they're ahead of Thailand, they're ahead of Indonesia. The ministry here, cosmetics section, is very strong. And the problem, on the other hand, is that in Malaysia, we have many brands who are not registered. They're operating under the radar. So mm. it's interesting to me. You've got a very strong cosmetics compliance system here. Um, these, I mean, we're uh, audited regularly every couple of years. Um, it's a well-educated, young uh, group of public servants that do, do this. But on the other hand, you've got the underground, which is very rampant in Malaysia. So they have no bricks and mortar. They sell on uh, uh, online. Um, mm, and you might even have some of the snake oil style salesmen. Uh, a lot of it's, uh, I'm not sure where it's made, but it's, 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 a lot of it's very dangerous. And the, <laughs> the, the, I think the cosmetics uh, auditors, it's just so huge they can't get on top of it. So, um, yeah, um, so it's kind of interesting to me. So, um, but, but the public in Malaysia, a lot of the public just buy on price, not so interested in quality. Uh, and that's what's driving this uh, fake um, cosmetics industry. Right, yeah, that, but that's pretty surprising. I, I would not have guessed that Malaysia has one of the best um, regulatory standards when it comes to beauty throughout Southeast Asia, the beauty industry. I, I, I don't know. Like, I, it was just, it's just like a, some kind of a presumption. Like, I assumed that there were other neighboring countries that had better safety regulations than us. But now that you mentioned it, I guess you are right. We, we do probably have um, slightly, slightly more solid foundation in our regulatory Standard. Dr. Mike was, was mentioning about the variety of under the radar. Um, I think uh, because also like over here, we have a lot of traditional healing and things like that. We have gamat, we have, you know, um, all these kind of things going on. So uh, people buy these products, you know, they, they, they might be of dubious quality. And yeah, I mean, I personally don't buy them. I, I prefer to have like some kind of a ministry chop on it or something, you know? <laughs> uh, well, in fact, in the cosmetics uh, in Malaysia, there is a section which is traditional uh, cosmetics and they're covered. Mm. So, because um, I've dealt with the regulatory authorities in uh, Thailand, we're in Vietnam, of course, in Indonesia, Malaysia, and they all belong to the ASEAN Cosmetics uh, Compliance Group. Uh, and so that's one of, one of the reasons we moved here from Vietnam, because we need a strong compliance environment because we export and you need that compliance environment behind you to get 
our products into other countries. But you have customers in Vietnam still, yeah, right? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, see, the, the advantage so, in Malaysia is that, I guess it goes back to colonial days, the, the, the cosmetics compliance here is very much aligned to the EU standards, uh, which, which are very strict. Not 100%, but quite well aligned. So it makes it easy for us to export products to Europe or Japan, etc., uh, etc. Et hmm. Right, yeah, and I think that's a pretty right, yeah. vital component. Um, sorry, can you guys hear me? Yeah, sure. All right, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a pretty vital component to, um, to brands in the beauty industry as well, that compliance standards are met so that they can, you know, broaden their horizons in terms of customer acquisition and, and um, expanding into other markets as well. And um, I think one thing that should be said as well is that um, I think it's good that a brand like Indochina exists because we have a lot to offer in terms of, you know, Southeast Asian, Southeast Asian healthcare, uh, health and beauty industry has a lot to offer um, with the, um, the combination of traditional um, methods you know traditional healing methods or maybe even just traditional methods of you know creating ingredients and producing products but also at the same time there there's sometimes a little bit of a lack in you know safety standards you know regulatory standards and i think a brand like indochina is perfect because um you have a master formulator like yourself dr mike um, an expert in your field and you are very it's clear that you are very conscious about what goes into your products and if your products are safe and if your products are, are of, good, of, of uh, good quality. But at the same time, um, your approach, your whole brand approach is also towards the artisanal, organic, traditional um, 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 aspect of, of beauty and, and um, body care. So I think that's something to be said as well. And uh, I think it's really great to see that um, sorry, uh, I, I think we haven't touched on uh, some of the ingredients that you so, so So I'm interested to know what makes your products different or like are you using specific ingredients and things like that? Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Ah, okay. So this all started in um, Hanoi where there's a very famous street in Hanoi which is called Herb Street. Now what's interesting in Vietnam is there's two parallel health systems. One is the conventional health system and then there's the traditional health system, they run parallel, parallel together. And Herb Street sells traditional herbs. So that's when I first uh, then became interested in uh, local ingredients, in Southeast Asian ingredients. I've always been very interested in what's called the spice trade, where these ingredients uh, historically were then exported to Europe. And they just weren't for flavours, they're also for... Um, healing and perfumes and, uh, and things like that. So that's where my interest started. So a lot of the ingredients we use um, come from this part of the world, you know, the patchoulis, the cloves, etc., etc. So that's what we try and do. There's, there's a bit of East meets West, but um, I tend to shy away from uh, typical uh, European uh, ingredients. Some, of course, yes. 
So I'm using palm oil and coconut oil and it goes on, yes. Right, yeah. And and and, and that's what I mean about it too, like the that element of east meets west, but I guess leaning a little bit more toward the traditional eastern traditional uh, ingredients meets western science, right? Something like that, right? Uh not not well not, not quite because um I I use very very traditional um, production methods. Like we, right. we don't use uh, synthetic surfactants. We use mm. a process called saponification, where we only use natural plant oils. It's made from coconut oil, which is saponified. So I've trained our Malaysian artisans to saponify coconut oil. So that gives the uh, the, the froth and bubbles, and it's also very cleansing. Uh, if I was more Western orientated and more um, modern, I would then use a synthetic surfactant. It's cheaper, easier to manage. I mean, for us to make a big batch of uh, coconut shampoo, it takes about four days to saponify the oil. So it's it's very traditional. Right. Yeah. And it's pretty interesting as well that that um, Indochina uses all of these extremely traditional um, processes for 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 making their products, um, but at the same time, it's kind of like tradition meets in tradition and and natural essence meets like intelligence and and um, calculative. Um, methodical approach, right? Like refined, because, yeah. Yeah, refined. Like you, you mentioned before that you know the the market has become more receptive to the all natural brand um, message, and 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 you know I think a lot of brands they probably take this natural uh, persona on, but at the same time they 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 may not really to the full extent that. You do, for example. You're, you're, there are some out there that you don't really have the expertise, but they kind of maybe. I mean, your, yeah, your reception is a bit bad. Oh, oh. Yeah. okay. Should I? Uh, uh, log yeah, well, well, while he's talking himself out, uh, maybe we can uh, start talking a little bit about your content on your blog. Um, yes, yes. Dr. Mike? Yeah, so um, I see that you have um, some content here, and, and it's actually been updated very recently. Very recently. So, so you, you handle the updates yourself? Yeah, so we have a blog, and the focus of the blog is mainly for educational purposes. So, uh, for example, how to use essential oils, um, uh, I talk a bit about environmental issues, yeah. um, SLS. Yeah. Uh, so it goes, I, I, there's a lot of blog articles there. So it's not so much selling, it's more about what, what we do, how we make stuff, uh, educational things, safety, uh, et cetera, et cetera. A bit of behind the scenes. Right, yeah, and educating humor is. Uh, can you guys hear me? Are you, 
Am I okay? Um, keep talking. It's it's still kind of there, but uh, just yeah, just so keep anyway, talking. Yeah, anyway, meeting the consumer is something that stands out within the China brand. Especially no, your reception is still is still, is still pretty bad. Are you, are you using the headphones, guy? I'm sorry. Are you using your headphones? Or? No, it's I'm not. Pretty bad. Go, okay. Go on, um, I, 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 I try to fix this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, like like looking at some of the content, um, I mean, you know, you're, you're basically like um, raising awareness or spreading um, uh, sort of like information about what you do through education, yes, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And uh, so, I mean, do you? Do you um, have, like, I mean, do you use uh, the content from your blog in other ways? For example, do you have a monthly newsletter? Uh, we, we, what I, I have a process where I will paste a blog link on Facebook uh, maybe once a week. Mm. Um, I, have a new, I have a newsletter. Um, and if appropriate, I may put a link in the newsletter back to the blog on the website. Right. Right. Okay. So, okay. So, let me look at some of the content that we do here. Very interesting. Um, I mean, like the the direction of the brand is. Um, sorry. Can can, can you hear me? Yes, you can hear me fine, right? Okay. Cool. So, the the direction of the brand is. Uh, I I don't know if you know like. Um, Ben and Jerry's, for example, I mean, like they probably sold out as well because they're they're not not to say sold out, but now they're they're under a big company like Unilever. Um, I think it's Unilever that acquired them. But I was looking at Ben and Jerry's blog as well, and they are very like, they're an ice cream brand. I think they they are like home the whole home kind of thing, and um, they also like talk about community issues, you know, like that in 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 their blog. Um, so like, you know, um, there's content about, uh, what, what, what I see you, you, you do a lot of is very, it, it seems like technical content, right? Technical things about, um, like castles, so, uh, therapeutic grade essential oil. But, um, do you have any content like about things like, you know, general beauty or, 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 or maybe something to do with the community that you operate in? So, you, so yeah. a lot of where these uh, blog things come from is the ideas come from inquiries from customers. So, so oh, I see. I'll say, oh, look, is a fragrant oil the same as an essential oil? Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, some inquiry will come, it's, it stimulates an idea, I'll write it down, and then I will then create a blog post. So these go back quite a few years. So that's where they come from. Um, and then there's an article here, this Australian scientist thinks the beauty industry needs change. That, that has come from uh, someone who approached me from a magazine and want, wanted my uh, sort of uh, opinions, and it was published in the magazine. So these all come from... Uh, in, incoming inquiries. That's the origin of most of these. That's very interesting. 
that's very interesting. And that's, yeah, that's that's a really interesting approach because um, usually what uh, how how blog articles are done is they're based around search terms, right? Search keywords. You, do, do you oh, know what SEO is? Search engine optimization. Yeah. So do you that in your? Okay. Yes. Yeah, so all of these articles uh, I've used SEO, uh, and and I use something called Squirrely. Are you aware hmm. of Squirrelly? No, I'm actually no, I'm actually Googling it right now. I've never Squirrelly. It's like Squirrel animal squirrel. Ah, uh, yeah, Mike, you, I, I, you sort of got lost there for a minute. Yeah, is, is it squirrel? Yeah, is is it squirrel like the animal squirrel? S Q U I double R L Y. Oh, squirrel. Uh, okay, I put in. Okay. Ah, squirrely. Okay. So this is an SEO thing, right? SEO so software, right? It, it, it's, uh, in our, uh, it's in our website. So what happens is as I write a blog, it will uh, analyze it and look at the keywords and say I need to write more keywords. Or So it guides you through and then eventually it's 100%. Right. Okay. So. Right. Yeah. Okay. So. And, uh, sorry. Can you guys? Uh, keep. Uh, keep. <laughs> keep talking. Let's, oh, let's sorry. Just... Yes. Go ahead. So yeah, and I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty. It's pretty good as well that um, you you write very informative articles, blog posts. Hello. Yes, I'm here. Go ahead. Right. Yeah, uh, I think it's pretty good as well that you write informative blog posts and at the same time run them through SEO. Something that we we talk a lot about to our clients well, that uh, a little bit of SEO, uh, a, little, a little bit of SEO um, search engine optimization goes quite far away, especially when content like yours and blog. Uh, it's that formative and that so Because I'm reading a little bit of your posts, I think there's a lot of information. And I think it's really great that the direction that you take with the blog posts as well is that um, it comes from customers, right? The, the yes. kind of comes from customers. So, yeah, I think it's really a job pretty well done. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, okay, so you you've you've talked about um, your content and the SEO as well. Um, uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about your future plans uh, in terms of content and uh, with the business model as well. Uh, I think at the moment we're, our, our only plan is to get through this COVID nineteen um, because the future is, is, is not so clear. How how has it affected you? Uh, a lot of the brands we're, we're manufacturing for have, have basically gone rather quiet, so I'm not sure what's happening. Um, and the retail sector, I think, is going to be very hard hit. So what comes out mm. of this, I'm not sure. So online, so online, online presence should be, like, the main thing right now. Uh, yeah, at the moment... Uh, 
we, we uh, doing okay online, but it was never our main business. Um, our main business was manufacturing. Uh, so while online has gone up, um, it wasn't our main focus, which, you, you know, because we're not, we're not really retailers, we're, we're manufacturers. Mm. Mm. Right, yeah. And I think, um, you know, I think everywhere across all industries, I think there are plenty of businesses as well that are experiencing, um, I guess, uncertainty right now with the MCO COVID-19. Um, not, not to say that there's a slowdown or that there's a speed up or whatever. I think there's a little bit of a looming uncertainty with the future and how it, how it goes. I think, I think everybody is kind of experiencing that. So I think it's quite natural. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yeah. So uh, we've never experienced any anything like this before so where it's going i'm not quite sure where it's going to end up i'm not quite sure so uh our horizon is not so long at the moment right just to get through this uh current crisis maybe a shift a shift um towards more online sales right Uh, uh, using your resources to use online Possibility. Sorry, I missed most of it. Yeah, I Hello? missed most of what you said. Um, yeah. yeah, what I was saying was, I think it was to my battery. You're breaking up. Yeah, I'm breaking up as well. <laughs> due to the the. Maybe it's due to the internet or something, but um, we may have a session. Yeah, I think we, we might have to have to wrap this up. Yeah, we up. covered most of <laughs> Okay. Okay, thank you. For, okay, thank you for being. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks, Doctor Mike. Okay. Thanks a lot. I'm so sorry for this. Or or maybe the general is not doing so well right now um but uh thanks so much for being on and we hope to have you again maybe it will be a good idea to have you we 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 haven't had much time to talk here okay my my pleasure thanks a lot guys thanks so much okay thanks